Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, it's got to happen once or twice a year, folks, doesn't it? I've got to do it now and again. You've got to be able to say that you're fair to all sides. Got to say something nice about Justin Trudeau. I'm not happy that I have to say something nice about Justin Trudeau, but when he does the right thing, doesn't he deserve the credit? And maybe he doesn't deserve the credit for this, but I'm going to give it to him because I I criticized him. For not doing it properly before. What on earth am I talking about? Just get to the point, Lily. Get to the point of why you're saying something about Justin Trudeau. Uh, Stephen, there, uh, people are saying there's no sound. Can you hit the button there? Okay. We got the sound back. We got the sound back for the folks listening in on Facebook Live. So it is there now. And if you're not getting it, let me know now. But uh, it should be there. The um, simple fact of the matter is still no sound. Hold on. Hold on. This is the problem when people um, pull out all the cords. And mess with things. So, if there's no sound for the Facebook Live, I'll uh, I'll just leave it and we'll turn it off. But, hopefully it's working now. Here is the problem, or why I'm saying something nice about Justin Trudeau. Still saying no sound on Facebook, I'm just going to turn that off. Justin Trudeau may have done the right thing when it comes to NAFTA. Justin Trudeau may have actually done the right thing when it comes to NAFTA and and the steel and aluminum tariffs. See, I'm all flustered. Flustered because of technical difficulties. What did he do? Donald Trump today announced that the tariffs were coming in on steel and aluminum. He announced that the tariffs were happening. He said it's going to be 25% on steel. 10% on aluminum. We've been talking about this for more than a week, but here is the part that I give Justin Trudeau credit for. Due to the unique nature of our relationship with Canada and Mexico, we're negotiating right now NAFTA, and we're going to hold off the tariff on those two countries to see whether or not we're able to make the deal on NAFTA. Good news all around, I would say. Christian Freeland? Our foreign affairs minister, who's leading up the NAFTA negotiations, reacting to this just around 5 o'clock today. This has been a true Team Canada effort. This work continues, and it will continue until the prospect of these duties is fully and permanently lifted. Notice that she said she'll keep working on it until the prospect of these duties is fully and permanently lifted. Because while Donald Trump said no tariffs on NAFTA countries for now, no tariffs on Canada, no tariffs on Mexico, he did say they could come in 
down the line. Here's a, a fuller, longer clip of Donald Trump. National security, very important aspect of that deal. And if we're making the deal on NAFTA, this will figure into the deal and we won't have the tariffs on Canada or Mexico. If we don't make the deal on NAFTA and if we terminate NAFTA because they're unable to make a deal that's fair for our workers and fair for our farmers, we love our farmers and fair for our manufacturers, then we're going to terminate NAFTA and we'll start all over again or we'll just do it a different way. But we'll terminate NAFTA, and that'll be it. But I have a feeling we're going to make a deal on NAFTA. I've been saying it for a long time. We either make a deal or we terminate. And if we do, there won't be any tariffs on Canada, and there won't be any tariffs on Mexico. We are going to spend a good chunk of the night talking to people that know this file. Carlo Dade will actually drop by in studio. He is, uh, you've heard him many times, he's with the Canada West Foundation. He's also affiliated with the University of Ottawa. We'll talk to him about this. And also someone that knows the agricultural file well, because that's being dragged into this as well. Donald Trump still upset about our supply management system. He was tweeting about it this week. Well, Aaron Gardner, the former chief of staff to then... Agriculture Minister Jerry Ritz will join us to talk about it, especially from that side. What is Trump playing us off against? What are the different elements he's going after? Because this is a pass for today, but it's not a pass permanently. And it comes down to how the NAFTA negotiations go. Something that Freeland and her crew are going to have to stay on top of in order to make sure we don't have these tariffs or other problems down the road. The decision to exclude Canada is logical and it's the right one. When it comes to the NAFTA talks, we have said from the outset, we're in favour of modernising this agreement and we think that there is a lot of great work to be done and we think a win-win-win outcome is absolutely possible. Uh, See, what I'm hearing from people close to the talks is that the Americans put forward trade proposals, Canada says no, and then says, here, let's put a chapter on gender. They don't want to talk about any of the things the Americans want. Well, the Americans hold an awful lot of the cards. And Donald Trump pointed out a couple of other areas that are irking him. And these are important to pay attention to. Because one of them is, are we paying enough militarily? Canada made the argument, you can't. You can't cite national security and block us on, on, on steel and aluminum. We are part of your defense system. We sell into it all the time. Canada's part of NORAD. Canada's part of NATO. Half the days of the week you've got, or half the day every day, you've got a Canadian in charge of the, the skies above America from a security standpoint. But believe it or not, Donald Trump actually linked military spending and these tariffs together. So maybe this won't play for Canada. Maybe it will. But other NATO partners better be paying attention when he starts musing about things like this. One other thing, uh, some of the countries that we're dealing with are great partners, great military allies, and we're going to be looking at that very strongly. The tariffs don't go effective for at least another 15 days. And we're going to see who's treating us fairly, who's not treating us fairly. Part of that's going to be military. Who's paying the bills, who's not paying the bills. We subsidize many rich countries with our military. 
They pay not 100 cents on the dollar, in some cases not 50 cents on the dollar, and they're massively wealthy countries. So we have to stop that. And that will enter into the equation also. I've never heard military spending be part of the equation for tariffs. But according to Trump, you don't want these tariffs. You want to find a way out. You want to negotiate your way out. And you're a NATO member. You better be paying your fair share. We all know that Canada is not. We all know most countries are not. You're supposed to spend 2% of GDP on your military as a member of NAFTA or a member of NATO. Canada spends less than 1% right now. And that's probably only going to shrink over the coming years. So kudos to Justin Trudeau and his team for getting us out of the tariffs in the immediate term. Now you got a big job ahead of you on the long term. One thing I might suggest is to try and deal with any problems that the Americans say they have with us and China, such as this idea of transshipment, where steel comes into Canada or any product comes into Canada, we touch it once or twice and then claim it's Canadian, ship it down there, even though it's really a Chinese product. That's bothering the Americans. And China is really their main target. Make nice with the Americans. To heck with the Chinese. Make nice with the Americans. We don't need to be nice to Chinese steel companies that are dumping into our market anyway which affects our steel industry, our steel workers. We don't need to be nice to Chinese steel workers. We have our own to worry about. And worrying about them includes keeping the Americans happy. And if you don't think that Donald Trump's main target is China, then you're not paying attention when he starts speaking. He he spoke of getting a message from Elon Musk, the head of Tesla, Tesla, talking about how ridiculous it is that the Americans are willing to put up with tariffs for their products around the world, but don't charge tariffs on countries that impose tariffs. He said, for example, an American car going to China pays 25% import duty. But a Chinese car coming to the United States only pays 2.5%. A tenfold difference. So... An American car going to China, think of that, pays 25% import duty. So we send our car over there, pay 25%. They send their car over here, 2.5%. Little bit of a difference, little bit of a trade irritant. Make sure that they're not irritated with us and that they're focused on the people that are truly irritating them. China. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We've got a great show lined up for you. We've even got Elliot Finkelman from uh, Travel Talk dropping by because maybe you've heard Mexico is a bit of a dangerous spot to go to now. Do you need to be worried if you've booked something? We'll talk to Elliot about that in about half an hour's time. We've got Aaron Gardner on on trade. We've got Warren Kinsella. Doug Ford just after 8 o'clock on the voting mess up that is the Ontario PC party. We'll talk to Doug directly and get his view. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Brian Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. Story number one, we dodged a bullet today, for now at least. U.S. President Donald Trump announcing his big tariffs on steel, on aluminum, but saying, "Mm, Canada, Mexico, you're good for now. Due to the unique nature of our relationship with Canada and Mexico, we're negotiating right now NAFTA. And we're going to hold off the tariff on those two countries to see whether or not we're able to make the deal on NAFTA. But that will all depend on how NAFTA negotiations go. That's why I say it is for now. We talked about that already. But story number two we have not talked about. In the midst of all this, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer is using the break week in Parliament to talk to politicians and business leaders in another important trading partner nation the United Kingdom. Lots of people in the media have been mocking uh, Shear for being over there. And I say they're all wrong. They've got it completely wrong. Shear says that nations that believe in free trade need to present a united front against protectionist moves coming out of the United States, and I would add elsewhere, Shear says he's hearing agreement with that sentiment as he meets in London with British politicians. There is definitely agreement here that uh, countries like Canada, the UK, and, and Europe need to work together uh, to support each other and to, uh, to do what we can to convince the United States uh, not to go down this route. Shear in London, as I said, to promote trade. He wants to find out uh, about moving forward with a free trade agreement. If he becomes prime minister in October 2019, here's hoping. How quickly could they move forward on it? See, while we've got a free trade deal with the United Kingdom through the European Union, the Brits are leaving. And you talk to anybody that was close to those negotiations or anybody close to the British government, the Brits were interested in doing so much more on free trade with us than the Europeans were. Because, again, these are not free trade deals. They're managed trade deals. And the As much as we want to protect supply management, the Europeans had all kinds of things they wanted to protect. And the Brits are like, let's have full trade. Story number three. In 35 minutes, registration will close for the Ontario PC Party leadership vote. Lots of people still saying they cannot vote. The latest numbers I have, over 70,000 people have registered. Over 50,000 have voted. Doug Ford, who you will hear from just after 8 o'clock tonight, says this is a scam. It's a scandal. It's wrong. Voting should have been extended. Caroline Mulroney, Tanya Granick-Allen backing Ford on that, but the party saying, no, they will not do it. Uh, Christine Elliott, the lone candidate, agreeing with the party, saying it goes against their constitution. But Elliott also had this message for Ford saying, any vote without an extension would be illegitimate. I would say that that is absolute nonsense. I think that Doug, really what he needs to do is get to work on making sure that he can get out his vote, registering people and helping them to vote instead of imagining um, scenarios that do not exist. 
It's going to be interesting times. As I said, well, now 24, 34 minutes, 34 minutes until the registration closes. Voting closes at noon tomorrow. The leader will be announced on Saturday. We'll have special programming of that here on News Talk 580 CFRA. Story number four, a bizarre news conference in Vancouver today. Jasper Atwal, the man who thrust into the center of a political controversy. He hasn't seen this much media attention since he shot an Indian cabinet minister. Oh, wait, that's why he's getting the media attention again. He shot an Indian cabinet minister, but it was 32 years ago, and Atwal was trying to let people know he has changed, things have changed, times have changed. When I asked to consider attending the reception, I had assumed there would be no problem. No one had any point indicate there would be any issue. Atwal saying he is sorry for the embarrassment that he caused the prime minister and notes that he has been around politicians of all stripes. He didn't take questions. Questions were fielded by his lawyer after Atwal made the statement. And story number five, we normally only hear from this guy when he's announcing bank rate hikes or bank rate declines. Stephen Polos, the governor of the Bank of Canada, unveiling a new $10 bill on International Women's Day, and it honors Violet Desmond. She is, a, well, she's passed on now. She was a uh, an African-Canadian woman, a black Canadian woman that decided she would not sit in a coloreds-only section of an empty movie theater and sparked off changes in the civil rights movement. Polos unveiling the bill in Halifax today. Banknotes are designed not only to be secure and durable, but also to be works of art that tell the stories of Canada. And I'm confident that you'll agree that this new $10 note fits the bill. Yeah, that's a really bad one. A really bad one. Viola Desmond being honored, and I have to say it... uh, It wasn't a choice that I was aware of when they made it, but fully back it now. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, what are the other areas that we have to worry about? And did any of them touch on Ottawa Industries specifically? That's something we'll hear from from Aaron Gardner next. is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at facebook.com slash 580CFRA. We're negotiating right now NAFTA, and we're going to hold off the tariff on those two countries to see whether or not we're able to make the deal on NAFTA national security, very important aspect of that deal. Well, they have uh, given us the reprieve for now, but they've linked it to NAFTA and how negotiations are going to go. If you follow Donald Trump, sorry, I just had a big breath in my microphone like I am Donald Trump. (sighs) He does that thing now and again. I don't know what it is, but he does it. Donald Trump, if you follow him on Twitter, was tweeting about Canada and our unfair trade policies the other day. He was tweeting about Canada must treat our farmers much better. Highly restrictive, he wrote. What's he talking about? He's talking about supply management. 
So let's see. He's linked these steel and aluminum tariffs to NAFTA, to supply management, to military spending. What else is he going to link it to? Who knows? But everything's on the table. And the big part is NAFTA, of which supply management's part of the discussion. I want to bring on Aaron Gardner now. He was chief of staff to Jerry Ritz, one of our longest-serving agriculture ministers, for seven years. And before that, you were at Foreign Affairs, Aaron. So you've worked on these files for quite a long time. Oh, that's correct, Brian. Thank you for having me on, by the way. A pleasure. So how does it normally work? Because you were around for negotiations around uh, the European trade agreement, around the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And you know that the you know other countries, I'm thinking of TPP and the, the Aussies and the New Zealand, uh, the Kiwis, they want at our dairy market. They want at it, at it big time. How does it normally work? Is it always a no or we'll trade you something or what's going on there? Well, I would say, Brian, that this situation is unprecedented. In, in the ones that you talk about, those countries were pushing for what I would call minor market access. You know, they were pushing for maybe 10% of the market and we ended up giving them, you know, 2 and 3% of the market in the final deal. Donald Trump wants it gone. He wants the entire thing eliminated. He wants 100% access. He wants us to phase out supply management over a 10-year period. And that's their official... That's their policy? That's their official written policy that they've submitted to Congress. And that's what they're negotiating on. So it's unprecedented. I'm talking to people that are close to the negotiations. And what, what do they tell me? They say, all Canada will do is say no. So instead of turning around and saying, no, no, we're not getting rid of this, but... Where can we meet in the middle or how can we negotiate something else? They just say no. They do the same thing on auto parts. They do the same thing on pretty much everything is what I'm told. And that's not a negotiating strategy. That's a stalling strategy and a failure strategy. That's absolutely correct. I mean, we're barreling towards an impasse here that could result in the death of our most important trading agreement. I mean, Brian, you've got to understand that half of Canadian jobs are directly or indirectly linked to global trade. But for Canada, our global trade footprint is not equal. It's not balanced. The lion's share of it, something like close to 80%, is with the United States. If we lose NAFTA, we are in big, big financial trouble. Now, while you guys were in office, there were a lot of, and I talked to to Jerry Ritz about this a week or so ago, there were a ton of new trade deals signed. Correct. So we've lowered our dependence on the U.S. a bit, but it's still... The overwhelmingly dominant player. It's still, it's well over 70% of our exports still, correct? That's right. And, and the reason for that is just very simple. Canada is surrounded by three oceans and the largest economy in the world. So matter Why what, wouldn't you sell there? <laughs> right. I mean, it's just a, a tr- trade. A free trade deal with Jordan doesn't seem like all that much. A good thing to do for some stuff. But yeah, driving a hey. semi truck down to Wyoming, uh, much easier. We could sell them chickpeas. India put a tariff on them. Send them to Jordan. They like hummus. Why not? Right, right. Uh, in in terms of wh- how, how do our negotiators make sure that we get a deal without putting everything on the table, without giving away everything? Because while I may think supply management is an anachronism, um, you know, it's there's a lot of people that support it in this country. A lot of people think it's part of our national identity for some reason. Uh, it's only since the 1970s, and it's helped speed along the 
reduction in the number of family farms, but people love it. Right. The problem is that this is not the only thing the Americans are asking for. They are asking for much bigger, much more serious things, such as the effective elimination of the dispute settlement mechanism. If that happens, we might as well not even have a free trade agreement because we're tiny and they're big. And as we've seen before, the Americans will come forward and it'll be some guy in Congress wants to protect a plant in his region and they will put forward a a protectionist policy. The rest of Congress will back it and whoever's president will sign it. I've been pointing out that the difference this time with this round of protectionist talk is it's coming from the Ameri- uh, from the president and not from some member of Congress in Georgia or Wyoming or California or Ohio. That's how it normally happens. That's right. And the supply management thing, I, I guess, is new also in that now both Democrats and Republicans alike are pushing it in Congress. Really? So the Democrats want it gone, the Republicans want it gone, the president wants it gone. How much do you put in, and this is just my theory, but we had the the flare-up, and we're maybe getting too into the weeds here. We had the flare-up over the ultra-filtered milk. Correct. And that was the milk product that was, it was legal under our supply management system for the Americans to send to Canada, to sell into Canada. Right. My understanding is it was worth about $10 million a year. You never heard Trump mention our dairy farmers. You never heard him mention supply management. And there's this plant in Wisconsin that's selling us $10 million a year of ultra-filtered milk. And our dairy farmers changed the rules to say sending that into Canada is illegal, slap them with a 270% tariff. That seemed to have caught Trump's attention and anger. And trying to be too cute by half could kill off the whole system that they want to protect. Well, that's exactly it. It's, it's sort of the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. Uh, it's a legitimate gripe. It's a very unfair trade practice that we've committed. But you're right. It is a small thing. But what this has opened up is the Americans now asking for the elimination of the entire system. And the truth is, and this is the, the bizarre part, they're absolutely correct. The system is a regressive tax on household income. But isn't the uh, argument that the Americans, well, they, they do direct subsidies to their farmers. So why shouldn't we have something similar? Uh, well, we do. For 92% of Canadian farmers, they have direct subsidies. That's not a a pretty fact, but it's just a fact of life. And those 92% of Canadian farmers compete directly with the Americans every single day and in every other market around the world, and they do just fine. This whole notion that we can't compete with the Americans on dairy or turkey is basically a red herring. We compete with them just fine in the beef market, in the pork market, in the lentil market, in the wheat market, the canola market, and so on and so on and so on, to the tune of billions of dollars Every year. You've been looking at what the uh, the American demands are. What are some of the other ones? I mean, I look at the, uh, I'll be speaking with Carlo Dade from the Canada West Foundation about right. this later, the auto demands. I think that there's room for us to negotiate a win-win with the Americans on that because they're saying there's too many Chinese parts getting into our cars, so let's boost it overall, and we want 50% of it. Right. So I say, well... Why don't you boost it to, what do they, they want 80 or 85% of parts have to be North American made to be a North American car? Right. Okay, go with that, but whittle them down from 50 to something else, and we're still going to get more money, more parts. I think you're absolutely right, Brian. There's, there's a compromise to be had there and one that's good for Canadian auto workers. 
We already make Canadian cars with a very high percentage of American components. We're not very far off the mark from what they're looking for. I think the bigger problem is with Mexico. And frankly, we shouldn't be too concerned about what the what the Mexicans think on this. You, you'd be fine with leaving the Mexicans out to dry on uh, on NAFTA? Yeah, it's, it's actually a small smaller part of it. Nice if they're there. But, I mean, this is a very high-stakes game right now. And who knows which way it's going to go. We've got to do everything we can to preserve what's important to Canada. And this is the linchpin of our economy. Well... We'll see what people think about Mexico after our next segment, because we're going to speak with Elliot uh, Finkelman, the host of Travel Talk, next, because a bit of a security issue with heading to Mexico, which a lot of Canadians are doing right now. Aaron Gardner, consultant now, former recovering political staffer and former chief of staff to Agriculture Minister Jerry Ritz. Thanks for the time, Aaron. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate you having me. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll talk about Mexico and how safe it is to go, what you need to be worried about when we come back. with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, if you were to ask me, I would say that I would really rather be in somewhere like Mexico right now because it is... 22 degrees as the sun goes down in Playa del Carmen. It's not 22 degrees here right now. In fact, what what is the temperature here? It's uh, coming in at around zero. Is that what it's at? Just bringing up my, my trusty weather app. Minus two or 22. And tomorrow it's going up to 26 in Playa del Carmen. So the weather sounds good, but now there's a warning from American officials to Stay the hell away. This is going to hurt tourism. Elliot Finkelman, host of Travel Talk, joins me now. Um, It's never good when a government tells its citizens, don't go there. No, and you know, our own government, normally when these things happen, um, I kind of say, you know what, uh, Jamaica we had uh, this year, but you know what, it was very localized and it wasn't uh, targeting tourists. It was one it was area. A, one little area and, and it, 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 you know, uh, we, we talked to some people down there, very under control and uh, not, you know, not a, uh, a huge, you know, you always have to exercise caution wherever you travel. We know that. Uh, but Mexico right now, a little bit more a caution needs to be exercised. And even our own government website, if you go to travel.gc.ca. I always recommend people check that out before they travel anyways. Travel.gc.ca. Again, it's certain areas of Mexico. Now They've long said stay away from the northern states. That's right. Which border with the United States. And is a lot of criminal activity. Chihuahua. You don't want to go to Chihuahua. No, I don't want to. There's a million little Chihuahuas, you know, nipping at your... Don't don't want to go to any of these places. (laughs) But, you know, there was an incident that occurred in Playa del Carmen, and and to put it in perspective... And and what was it? What happened? Well, there was a ferry, and the ferry had an explosion on it, and it was, you know, it was, a I guess, a terrorist, for lack of, uh, uh, you know, other term. Uh, Wasn't an accident. No, 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 it was not an accident. Uh, While they were unloading the ferry, uh, you know, and 26 people were injured, 
Uh, two weeks later, uh, they uh, found a second ferry on the same route that also had. So rule, number one rule right now they're saying is just stay off that ferry, right? That's a local ferry. Don't 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 use it as a tourist. So Suddenly I've got now, Christopher DeBerg running through my head. <laughs> don't pay the ferryman. Don't pay the ferryman. Listen, I'm going to tell people, it's like anything else. Be smart, be cautious, and be wise. So, All right. So if I if I had gone into your office last week, yeah, you and just, said, you, you Elliot, just I, I I I got to get out of here. Yeah, and you booked me in a an all inclusive. If you're down going to the, in you're going to the Mayan Riviera area, you know what? Stay in the resort. If you're going to go off resort, go with someone approved by the operators of the hotel. This is not the time to walk onto the beach and find Bob's tour operator and say, Bob, take me into... You know, he's got... He's half the price. It doesn't matter that he's half the price right now. You want to go with... And most of us Canadians that are traveling down there right now are with tour operators, Sunwing, SunQuest, Air Canada Vacations, WestJet Vacations. Every one of those has a local presence in your resort. When you get off the plane, they will introduce you to that person. They're not in your resort typically every single day, but they have scheduled times and an area in the resort. Go and talk to them. If you want to leave the resort, okay? And I don't know. I, a lot of times when I go, I have no desire to leave the resort anyways. I mean, everything I need is right there. You know, the sunshine, I, the I beach, haven't been, but the drinks, it, uh, it sounds like I wouldn't no, want to leave. No, you don't. Now, if you're heading there on a cruise, again, we're recommending take the cruise line and or, for example, in, in, in our place, we happen to have some authorized sellers that we sell uh, that, uh, you know, are well vetted and they're going to take care of you and make sure that you're going through it. It's not the kind of place where you say, meet two other people in the resort. Hey, let's let's take off on the local bus and go. Don't do that. If you're going to go downtown somewhere, um, you know, talk to the hotel first. Find out. Now, it's not like this everywhere you go. And it no. wasn't like this in this part of Mexico until recently. But there's certain areas where but, if violence is occurring... It's just the smart thing to do. Yeah, and you know, Mexico has always had a little bit of problem with corruption down there. And you'll hear stories of, you know, uh, uh, a strike in an area. And, you know, I always tell people, before you get in any public transit, negotiate your price first. You don't want to be driven out into the middle and the guy says, I want more money, and then drops you off. That's why it's really important. when You negotiate the, the price on the bus? No, not on a bus, not on a city bus. Okay. I'm saying a lot of people grab a cab and head into town. So what I recommend, first of all, go to the travel.gc.ca. Look at the area. Second of all, talk to your tour operator when you get on site. They're going to keep you away from the areas you shouldn't necessarily go. Don't go, even if you're a husband and wife team, do yourself a favor. Go in a group. There's always groups of people that want yeah. to go somewhere, okay? Go together. It's You know what? Go to the disco on the site. Yeah, you, maybe you're near a nice city and you want to go into Acapulco. Don't. Not don't, at night. Don't, don't go in See, there at night. So I've got a friend that goes to uh, Puerto Vallarta. He says, Brian, I just don't go out at night. That's it. That's he it. said, I, I stay in my area at night. Daytime, he says he has no problems walking around uh, Puerto Vallarta. No, and again there, if I'm going to walk around, make go with a group, go with an organized trip. Go with go to the resort. Yeah, I think he gets them. a condo while he's down yeah, there. Yeah, well, you know, again, right now at this time, given what's going on, go that next level of, you know, don't ruin your trip and don't 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 not, you know, don't don't leave here tomorrow worrying about it. Just go knowing that you're going to take that extra step of precautions and you're going to listen to what you're told. <laughs> and it's not the time to save 50 cents, it's the time to smartly invest in 
you know, being uh, safe, getting being home. Safe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can relax and enjoy it. And again, all those resorts, listen, even the bad guys understand the value of tourism. <laughs> it's, it's kind of odd to think of it that way. That happened in Jamaica. They get it. Let's leave the tourists alone. They, they really kind of want to leave us alone because that's what feeds the economy. And even they know that. What do you got coming up your, on your show on Sunday? Well, actually, this Sunday, it's Royal Caribbean. We're talking with uh, Eric St. Pierre from uh, Royal Caribbean. And I always do, uh, I started a new thing. I do three travel tips every week. And uh, uh, I, I, I can't divulge them all, but you go to TravelTalkWithElliot.com. We've got them set up. Um, we're heading out on the uh, uh, Celebrity All-Inclusive trip this week uh, where Celebrity uh, has chartered the aircraft. I found out how much it costs to charter an airplane. Wow. Yeah? Yeah. It's not cheap. So it's you and I aren't doing it next week? No, I don't think so. I was okay. kind of surprised. I really, that's what it. Uh, so uh, yeah, we're going to uh, check out. What I'm, what are I'm, you checking out uh, one of their new ships? Uh, it's uh, well, it's it's a relatively new ship. What I'm more excited about, uh, frankly, is we're checking out all the islands that have been that were during the hurricane. We're going to Saint Martin, San Juan, and Saint Thomas, and each of those islands, as you know. Uh, we're really devastated, but they're all back. It's amazing how fast Mother Nature and how, back the, how much the people. A very good friend of mine, we're going to go out in San Juan together. He lives down there, and I'm going to get him to show me some of the areas that maybe you don't see as a tourist, right? But, the but main, go as a group. But Yeah, well, I'm going <laughs> with a local. Go with local. But the main tourist areas down there, all of you that are going away next week for, for the spring break, you know, and bear in mind it is spring break, so relax a little bit at the airport. It's going to be busy. Guaranteed the kids on the plane are crying. Yeah. Okay. And uh, just uh, take your time and be careful. But again, be safe when you travel always, please. All right. Elliot, host of Travel Talk and the man behind Expedia Cruise Ship Centers. Canada and Westboro. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. By, by the way, can I, do I have 30 seconds? Sure. 30 seconds. Uh, we did a, a hit on uh, CTV Morning Live the other day about this. Make sure you have travel insurance, please. Don't think you have it. Know whether you have it. Do not leave this country without medical. OHIP doesn't count. I'm kind of on this kick about travel insurance. Make sure you understand. Even if you're is, just down in the States? Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, the minute you leave this province, you need travel insurance. Theoretically, if you go to BC from Ontario, there's things that they we cover that they don't. But I'm more concerned when you go down to the States, when you're going down, uh, you know, if you're delayed because of something, you'll need that insurance. And medical right. is most important. Elliot, always fun. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Doug Ford is next. Voting closes, or registration for voting closes now and Doug Ford ain't too happy in a world gone mad there must be resistance you're listening to beyond the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA for the past well Week, week and a half now, at least one candidate has been calling for voting in the Ontario PC leadership race to be extended. Now, that number has grown to three. Three out of the four say this registration, this mailing out of registration pins, of online registration and then online voting is too much of a mess and it's got to be stopped. Well, not stopped, but at least extended. One campaign... Stands alone. That would be Christine Elliott. She was on with Evan Solomon today. And Evan asked her, Doug Ford says if this isn't fixed, then this is going to be a scandal regardless of who wins. Here's what Christine Elliott said. I would say that that is absolute nonsense. I think that Doug, really what he needs to do is get to work on making sure that he can get out his vote. 
registering people and helping them to vote instead of imagining um, scenarios that do not exist. Doug Ford, the man that started the calls for extending voting, joins me on the line now. Um, Doug, you heard Christine Elliott there, your leadership rival. She says, you just can't get out your vote. That's why you're saying this. No, that's, that's uh, furthest from the, the truth. And uh, which Christine are we going to get? Are we going to get the Christine that is okay with 25 26% of PC members uh, allowed to vote? Or are we going to get the Christine that believes in democracy that there's 150,000 people that haven't been able to vote. That's not leadership. That's showing a lack of leadership. What's the most disturbing thing about this, uh, Brian, is that we have three candidates uh, respecting respecting the voters. We always say we respect the taxpayers. This is about respecting the voters. And how can you go forward with a leadership race when more than two-thirds of your voters can't vote. They haven't received an well, envelope. Okay, so the I don't have the numbers for how many people have registered. Uh, last there, night it was about 70,000, but as of today, it's more than 50,000 have voted. The party yeah. officials that I talked to say, well, Brian, that's a high watermark. Uh, we, we've never had that many <laughs> people vote in a leadership campaign. Well, that's because they haven't had four candidates run out there and sign up new members. So according to the party and according to Christine Elliott, it's okay that only 25% of our members that uh, bought shares per se, you could say, bought shares with their $10 membership, they were engaged. A typical a typical election, Brian, 60% of the people vote. This is a membership, a leadership race. You're going to get high 80s if you allow them to vote. People have not received their letter, their PIN numbers, We've had 20 complaints that people have received their PIN numbers and they've already been used. So that sets alarms off when you, when you go to use your they've PIN They've already been used? Yes, 100%. They've already been used. Wow. Second second point is uh, Leoc and our, our friend that heads up Leoc uh, just mysterious, mysteriously decided to give 200 PIN numbers to a special group. So this is everything uh, I've been talking about, the political l- elites. Let, let's stop and talk about that because sure. a lot of folks, if they're not obsessed on Twitter 24-7, as you and I are these days trying to find out the latest on this race, then yeah. they may not know what's happened. But a number of people, they are mainly riding association presidents, candidates, MPPs, former MPPs. You say it's so, 200. They got an email with their registration info because they may not have received it by mail, correct? So what's happened, they've handpicked and they aren't giving us the list of these this special group of 200. There's actually 40 people on uh, Native Reserve that, that's fine. We, we gave that the green light. All parties gave it the green light. There's another close to 200, the special group that gets, gets their PIN number and Mr. Jones and Mrs. Jones and Mr. and Mrs. Smith, they don't get their PIN number. They've been members for 50 years, and they get stuck out in the cold. My own mother can't even vote because she hasn't received the email yet from, from the, the party. So, hey, uh, no. Speaking with Doug Ford, Ontario PC leadership candidate, uh, you know, look, I've been, I've been talking with all the campaigns throughout this, Doug, and, mm-hmm. 
you know, I want to hear all sides in this and, and then report what everyone's saying because it's a bit of a bun fight right now. The no, Elliott well, campaign has been saying that, well, look, we, we proposed emailing out pins a week ago and the other campaign said no. No, when, 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 you, when you come to a point, you have to go to root cause. Go down to root cause why this fiasco's happened. There's total incompetence in the executive group of this party and in Leoc that has decided to mail this out by snail mail, which why, why they did that was beyond me. They were disingenuous with us. They said everything was out on the 23rd, found out they were lying. I, I've heard some went out as late as the 28th. And even even later, I believe. Even later. And they haven't showed us. They will refuse to show us the Canada Post stamp. If they have nothing to hide, and they're saying the 28th, show us the, the stamp from Canada Post. They're refusing to do that. PIN numbers have been used when people open up their PIN numbers. Special groups are getting PIN numbers others don't. So there's a two-tier system here. One for the political insiders and one for the, the common member. That's not the way our party should should be run. That's what I've been fighting against, Brian, from day one. It's about the political insiders, political establishment that, again, is trying to hold on to power when the grassroots people are being left out in the cold. I, I, I would like to hear from Christine Elliott, and she's obviously okay with this, that she's, she's fine with, let's say, two-thirds of the party voting and forget about the, the other... Uh, the other two-thirds, I'm sorry, one-third voting and two-thirds not voting. So I don't believe in that. Even if I win, I still want every single person to vote. It's as clear as day. This is uh, this is a real fiasco, and uh, it's discouraging. And it's, yeah. it's really, uh, really terrible for the, for the party right now. Doug, I want to ask you about a, a couple of related questions to the campaign yep. in a moment, but... Uh, mm-hmm. You got less than 16 hours for people to cast their ballot, and Leoc says they're not going to extend, so they're not going to extend. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What's your elevator pitch for people um, to make you their first, second, uh, or third choice? I'm sure you don't want to well, be their fourth. Yeah, well, my elevator pitch is I'm going to get rid of the, the political elites, political establishment. We can elect. Get, well, first of all, we can get rid of Kathleen Lynn. She's going. We can elect another liberal with a different banner. Uh, as, as Christine is, she's flip flop on on the carbon tax. She's flip flop on the sex ed. Hey, you're being uh, pretty hard on her. If she ends well, up winning, well, will you still run in Etobicoke? I'm, I'm just telling the truth. I'm not. I, this isn't personal. These are facts. Okay, Wait, but uh, but you guys have been close. You guys have been close personally and politically a long time. You endorsed her in the last campaign. Uh, would you great. Would you run again? Would you run this coming election? As an MPP, if Christine, Christine Elliott wins the leadership, because right now have, it's sounding like you don't want anything to do with that. I, I have committed to the people of Etobicoke North that has uh, put faith in our family for over 30 years, electing my father, electing my brother, electing my nephew, electing me, and will be electing me again on, uh, on, June on, when, the election, on when the election starts. But what is the most concerning thing is... You're going to disenfranchise 140,000 people. I've had people, uh, thousands of people are calling our office and emailing, desperate to vote, saying that if I'm not allowed to vote, they've taken my money, I'm voting for the NDP. You know, so that, that that's a real issue. And uh, in my opinion, if you lose voters, 
Uh, you don't lose them just here. You lose them in the election as well. So if Christine Elliott is fine with closing her eyes and forgetting about uh, 70% of our party, that, that's concerning. That doesn't show leadership. It shows zero leadership from Christine Elliott. An Angus Reid poll out this morning said that while you might do well with the party, you would be very divisive with the general electorate and possibly cost the party the election. I know well, the people I, that don't, don't have you as their number one, they voice that concern. I hear concerns about all the candidates, but that's the concern yeah. that they say about you. What do you answer to that? Well, look at Angus Reid, a liberal polling company that polled out of 14 million people, they polled 800 people. I know for a fact that the Liberals know they're terrified if I get elected. I'm the only one that can win seats. I'll win 10, 10, 11 seats in Toronto that we haven't won since Mike Harris's days. I'm the only one that attracts traditional NDP voters, traditional Liberal voters, and a balance of, of people that uh, go back and forth between PC and Liberal. Uh, the other candidates don't have that group following. Uh, we have it. We're going to win the largest majority when I'm leader. We're going to win the largest majority in Ontario's history. I see it. I've traveled crisscross across this province, and I've seen people come up to me and say, I've been a lifelong liberal, lifelong NDP. I've never belonged to a party. I'm joining because of you, not because of the PC party. I know you saw that Bill Nye, the science guy, was uh, was in with the Prime Minister the other day here in Ottawa, and the Prime Minister made comments about how if a baby cries and gets milk, well, that proves he's a scientist. Uh, today in Toronto, we had another big left-wing uh, fake scientist campaigning with Kathleen Wynne. Al Gore was there, and mm-hmm. and Al Gore was actually saying, it, it sounded like a campaign thing. He said, we've got to back Kathleen Wynne. We can't go back. Uh, what do you have to say to Al Gore, the failed U.S. presidential candidate, coming up to campaign for Kathleen Wynne? Well, Al Gore can get on his private jet and uh, fly away and go to his mansion and be the hypocrite that he is and make make millions of dollars on uh, the, the green energy and so on and so forth. That's hypocrisy at its best. So are you talking about cap and trade? I have a very simple policy when it comes to cap and trade. I'm going to cap taxes and trade Kathleen Wynne. It's a good line. Doesn't get old. Doug, thanks for the time. Thanks so much, Brian. Doug Ford, Ontario PC leadership candidate. Drop me a line beyond the news at CFRA.com. Let me know what you think on how this has been handled. Has it been handled properly? Uh, Do you just accept that problems are going to happen in a rush? Or does someone need to be held accountable for how things went down? Beyond the news at CFRA.com. of the unofficial opposition. Ryan Lilly is on your side. Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. Just looking over at the Twitter machine and seeing just a few moments ago our own Michael O'Byrne from downstairs at CTV Ottawa. He's emceeing and being the auctioneer for the St. Patrick's Home soiree this evening. 
raising money for St. Pat's Home. Michael O'Byrne raising money for St. Patrick's Home. Who would have thunked that? Huh. Miracles, I tell you. Miracles. Okay, folks. I know lots of you have seen it. You are texting me about it. You're emailing me about it. You're tweeting at me about it. John Nunziata, former Liberal MP and lawyer, has applied for an injunction to extend the voting process in the PC leadership race. The injunction has not been granted yet. Registration to vote, unless something else happened that I have not seen yet, registration to vote closed 25 minutes ago. So I don't think that this is going to change anything. We'll see. The voting uh, process is supposed to be over at noon tomorrow. So what's the judge going to do? Extend it by a week? The PC party is a private organization, and I take great exception to courts getting involved in how private organizations conduct their affairs in this way. It's a private club that you nobody's forcing you to join. It's I'm not talking about saying workplace law doesn't apply to it if the PC party is an employer. But how they conduct their affairs, how the Liberal Party conducts its affairs, how the New Democratic Party conducts its affairs is up to the members. And I'm I'm just not a big fan of Getting the courts involved, no matter how frustrated many of you are. It's just a slippery slope that mm, I'm not comfortable with. Checking the Ontario PC Party Twitter feed, they have not updated anything to the effect of registration being extended. I have not received any emails to that effect. And so I believe it is just going ahead as it is. We'll, we'll see if this changes something tomorrow morning. But as of now, nothing has changed. Just looking through my... Uh, okay. Just looking through my um, my two emails to make sure that nothing's going on. Justin Trudeau is apparently uh, speaking at a fundraiser in Regina right now. Uh, John Gormley, who is talk radio host out there, uh, for um, he's on two stations. I can never remember them. I used to have to introduce him when he, he was a regular on my son use program, and I'd have to introduce him, and I'd just call him the King of Saskatchewan Talk Radio because I couldn't remember the station names. He had fun with Justin Trudeau on Twitter. Because he just tweeted out and said, the prime minister is coming to Regina this week. How should he dress when he comes to Saskatchewan? The audience reaction was to send in everything from Justin Trudeau dressed as a Saskatchewan Rough Rider to him being a lumberjack, um, a farmer. I mean, this is now an ongoing mockery. Of our prime minister. That's the, the, the place he's putting himself in. And nobody else put him in this position. And it wasn't the staff, as Sophie tried to say. It was 
himself. He did this. And this is this is actually sticking more than selfies. Remember when people would mock him for taking too many selfies? That didn't really stick. It didn't people yeah, it'd be a throwaway line now and again. But now everyone wants to know what outfit he's going to wear. What are you going to change into now, Justin? He took a question from a reporter yesterday when he was in Toronto. He took a question from a reporter who is a Korean-Canadian. And she identified herself as such, but asked her entire question in English. He started answering. He started his answer off with a, a phrase in Korean. It's a nice gesture. But I was honestly thinking, are you going to change outfits now? Is he going to put on some traditional Korean garb to answer this woman? That's how ridiculous he's become. I want to point your attention to a couple of different articles up at brianlilly.com. Uh, the, the new ones up today include uh, Al Gore campaigning for Kathleen Wynne. I'm continuing to ask who paid for Bill Nye the Science Guy to campaign for Trudeau. Looks like it might actually be just a giant campaign contribution, uh, a donation in kind, you could say. And there's no make no mistake, that was a campaign-style stop. Yesterday, I talked about and dealt with Sophie Trudeau's comments about the clothes, that it was the staff that made her and Justin put on the clothes on India. Today, I went through her comment about the vacation, and I'd really check that one out because all these people saying that it is not a, uh, it wasn't a vacation, I went through day by day through their itinerary and showed what they were actually up to. And the answer is not a whole heck of a lot. And the one that has caused the most controversy today, but probably not with this audience, is I look at the truth about the wage gap myth. It's something I talked about on the show last night, but now I've documented it, including linking to Statistics Canada. In response, liberals are sending me liberal news articles that don't have any Canadian stats in them. They're losing the argument. Uh, What is the truth about the wage gap myth? That up at brianlilly.com. When we come back, my favorite liberal is going to make an appearance. It's been a while since we heard from Warren Kinsella. He's next. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Due to the unique nature of our relationship with Canada and Mexico, we're negotiating right now NAFTA. And we're going to hold off the tariff on those two countries to see whether or not we're able to make the deal on NAFTA. Donald Trump giving Canada and Mexico a pass for now on the trade tariffs. I had to eat crow earlier. I think our next guest does as well. Liberal. Warren Kinsella, you've been hard on these guys as well. I've been saying they haven't been nice enough to them. You've been saying they've been too nice. And both of us (laughs) saying they're not getting it done. They're not doing it right. And, well, maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. We'll find out later on. Yeah. So Mayor Culpa, Mayor Maxima Culpa, um, sucking up to Trump, maybe did pay dividends. Avoiding, you know, 25% tariff on steel and 10% on aluminum. That's going to save many, many Canadian jobs and uh, keep prices down. So congratulations to Freeland. Congratulations to Trudeau and the others who are part of this effort. However, uh, okay, uh, but uh, I'll let you, you say, me, 
you pay me to be half glass empty. Um, it may be short-term gain for long-term pain because the, the president linked the whole exercise, this, this exclusion, this exemption, to NAFTA. So maybe what he'll, he'll get what he wants at NAFTA anyway in exchange for what he's given us on aluminum and steel. And, and you know what? As I always say, look, nobody's hands are clean in these trade deals. Um, everyone's trying to pull one over for their country, their companies. We do that. They do that. We like to claim we're all free traders, but we're not. Uh, we've got a 270% tariff on milk. I'm glad that we've got bulletproof glass behind me because the dairy farmers get angry when you point that out. Uh, but the the fact is that we, you know, we, we've put tariffs on all kinds of American products and we exclude certain things and, and they do the same on their end. And we we're just trying to it's politicians trying to bring home the bacon for their people, which is what most people at the end of the day want, no matter what they claim they believe philosophically. So there's going to be this ongoing deal. I got to say, I, I'm becoming much more comfortable with Christian Freeland being there and being part of it because compared to the rest of the cabinet, I find her very much to be the adult in the room. Yeah, she's pretty solid. I, I have to say I had some doubts when she got in there, she'd never been in politics before, let alone an MP or a cabinet minister. But Bloody journalists and off. broadcasters. Damn journalists, yeah, like who needs them? So uh, she's done well, absolutely. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, a guy who earned his chops negotiating in New York City real estate, that's a guy, whatever you say about Trump, and God knows I say plenty, you know, that he's a bigot and a jerk and dishonest and all the rest. I don't think you like, like him, yeah. I don't like it. They may have come through. However, he is a hell of a negotiator. And I think today, ultimately, he will prevail. What he's really after is a NAFTA that's not a NAFTA. He's after, a you know, a NAFTA that is for America and not for North America. And I think that uh, today he may have moved the ball down the field in, in achieving that. Before we move, there's lots of provincial stuff to talk about. Before we move off this, though, uh, big complaint of the Americans, and the, uh, President Trump was talking about this on his way out of the room. I think it was the only question he answered. It's something called transshipment. And part of the American claim is, hey, Mexico, hey, Canada, you're allowing China to dump all these products in through your ports, and then they, they touch Canada, and all of a sudden you claim they're Canadian products and ship them into America duty-free. That's got to stop. And, and part of the one of the main products they say they do this on is is steel. If that's happening, that's something that our, our government should be able to, to handle. Take care of that and look after our own steel industry and, and the steel workers in that. Frankly, I don't give a crap about Chinese steel passing through here. They don't deserve any special protection. So if that's happening, as the Americans claim, fix it. Well, I think you raise an important point, which is China. You know, really what has been the largest irritant to the Americans, with some justification, is the unfair trade practices of the Chinese. And But it's like, guys, American friends, you know, allies, fellow, you know, neighbors on this continent, go after the Chinese. Don't go after us. And uh, that's why I think so many people were so upset 
and so angry about what Trump announced last week. And it was also a suspicion he did it because he was having a whole bunch of de- bad days because of Robert, Robert Mueller and because of his son-in-law and this and that and the other thing. The thing that worries me the most, Brian, is the departure of his economic advisor, Gary Cohn, who is a true free trader and uh, is somebody who understands the importance of trade. Losing that guy over this whole mess, I think long-term, that's bad news for Canada. Uh, bad news. Uh, Gary Cohen may have you know, qualms with some of uh, the stuff he, he backs, but for Canada, he's better news than Peter Navarro, who wants to close the borders. So uh, let's move on to uh, provincial politics that still has an American flair. Uh, Kathleen Wynne, a little desperate. You saw the poll numbers from DART. You've seen the poll numbers from Angus Reid. They're not good for the Ontario Liberals right now. So she decided to bring up Al Gore, the failed American presidential candidate and green energy billionaire, to come and campaign with her in Toronto today. Yeah, I, you know, at this point, they're pulling out the stops, my friend, to whatever it takes. You know, they, they have launched a number of policies, uh, Pharmacare, you know, the minimum wage hike, rolling back the hydro price hikes, all this kind of stuff, pretty popular. But Kathleen Wynne has not benefited. She remains, according to Angus Reid, the most unpopular premier in the entire country. So they're getting pretty desperate. You know, the election is just, I think it's 62 days away, 61 days away. And um, she needs to pull out the stops. And so I think the budget is her Hail Mary pass. But we're going to see a lot more stuff like this Al Gore thing, where she's going to do whatever it takes to try and juice her numbers. Because if she doesn't, according to the polls we're all seeing, either under Christine Elliott or Carolyn Moroni, uh, Kathleen Wynne could be heading to third place. Absolutely. Uh, just want to play the um, uh, the clip of Charles Souza doing the latest "Let's pull a rabbit out of the hat," and that is saying after bragging that they balanced the books and we're going to have balanced books forever. Uh, Charles Souza comes out yesterday and says, "And we're going to have an eight billion dollar deficit." We have choices to make now. We have a. A software economy, expectation of growth is lower than we had anticipated. We have uh, a number of revenue sources that aren't being achieved. We have uncertainty when it comes to NAFTA and when it comes to rising rates in the future and the degree of uh, high consumer debt. Uh, look, Warren, I, I'm pessimistic on the economy almost always. There's always a warning sign out there. But you talk to economists right now and they say the economy's going gangbusters. The last thing we need is more stimulus <laughs> But these guys are doing it so they can spray around money like it's coming out of a fire hose to try and get votes. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with economic stimulus. I mean, sure, there was a drop in job numbers in the last round, but they were part-time jobs, so not the highly prized full-time, you know, well-paying jobs. So the, you're quite right, the economy's doing well. So the kind of spending that Wynne and her finance minister, Charles Souza, are about to do at the end of this month um, it's pretty risky, right? Because they actually succeeded in getting Ontario out of deficit. Now we're going back, right back in it in a big, big way. And that's something I think that has got to concern everybody, not just conservatives, but liberals and New Democrats too, because you, you need fiscal health in order to pay for all those social programs. Yeah, if you're get, having more than a billion dollars a month go just to service the debt, that takes a lot of money away from social programs. Look, your office did uh, an internal poll today. You only had one guy pick Doug Ford as being the winner. You, you, 
in your office pool, you had to pick who would win and on what ballot. You had Andrew <laughs> Talmadi pick Ford on the third ballot. Everyone else is Elliot or one pick Mulrooney. Um, do you buy this this Angus Reid poll that says Doug Ford would be toxic? Because, you know, you ran a campaign against Doug Ford. You know that in, in the 416905 area, he can be very popular. Uh, what, what do you think would happen if... Nobody should underestimate... I sound like Mel Lassman there. <laughs> Nobody... Nobody should underestimate my friend Doug Ford. We are friends, even though we disagree on just about everything. He is a formidable politician, and nobody should underestimate him. But I should say that Andrew Tomalty in my office, who said that Doug Ford was going to win, he's the liberal who's working for Kathleen Wynne. That tells you who they want to win. And uh, and then the rest of the liberals in your office, they're all liberals in your office, and you all want (laughs) Christine Elliott to win. No, no, no. No, no, the uh, Brittany is a uh, working on Carolyn Maroney's campaign. And uh, who else is in there? We've got a couple other Tories in there. So, okay. no, I think the general view is that, uh, you know, Elliot is ahead. And our, our proof of that, Brian, is she's the only one not whining about, as your previous guest did, my friend Doug, you know, the, the voting's unfair and it's all wrong and let's delay it. That's the I, that's the wine of a loser. Okay, no, but that's but I, I I've said and I said this to Doug that you know when he started saying this I thought okay well he's just trying to set himself up for if he loses he's got someone to blame, but then you see all these people that don't have their verification code yet they don't have the voting package in the mail, and then you find out that the party including Christine Elliott by the way the part well Christine she, Elliott yeah she doesn't have her code either she she probably does now because the party handpicked a few hundred people, kind of VIPs within the party, and emailed them to them. The rest of them, that just happened today, the rest of them, uh, well, if you didn't get it in the mail, too bad, but if you're a VIP in the party, that's going to leave a bad taste for an awful lot of people. Yeah, I think so. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, all the PCs I know, whether they're Doug Ford PCs or Christine Elliott or whatever, even the Patrick Brown ones, they really, really, really want to win, and they really want to beat, you know, the, the darn Ontario Liberals. I think, um, you know, right now they benefit from the fact that what is this election about? This election is about change, and in a change election, it really doesn't matter what the incumbent does. Uh, they're headed on, heading out. So the yeah. ballot question at this point is change. We saw that in 2015 with Stephen Harper. We saw that in 2006 with... Uh well, Stephen Harper taking over from Paul Martin, and we saw it in 2003 with Dalton McGinty taking power. God bless him. Did, didn't matter yeah. what Ernie Eves was doing. He could have stood on his head and spit $20 bills at everyone. Wouldn't have yeah. mattered. So. And, that, and that's what we call it in that campaign is choose change. So when change is the ballot question, it's the challenger who wins and the incumbent who loses. And I think at this point, that's, it's increasingly looking like that's what's going to happen. All right. Warren? We'll uh, we'll see who uh, wins on the weekend. I'm sure we'll jaw about it next week. I, I, I have to recommend, it's a few days old now, but I have to recommend your column on uh, Justin Trudeau to absolutely everyone to go and read your column at the Hill Times or at warrenkinsella.com. You eviscerated him on that trip to India. Yeah, I called it National Lampoon's trip to the subcontinent. It was... Uh... <laughs> 
It was well, not his finest moment. Hopefully he I, smartens up. I, I just posted Sophie uh, Gregoire Trudeau, of course, did her interview with Don Martin and claimed that this was not a uh, not a uh, a vacation. And so I went through the itinerary day by day and documented it on my own website at brianlilly.com today. And uh, no, it was vacation. And uh, I think you and Lisa would love to have one. I'd love to have one. Who wouldn't love to have a vacation like oh, that I'd like to, that, to that. India? I'd take it. Let's right. go, man. Let's go right now. Excellent. It's, it's, it's got to be warmer. Warren, okay. talk to you soon. Take care, my friend. Warren Kinsella. Read him at warrenkinsella.com. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Brian Lilly. Don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. I'm reading the summary of objectives for the NAFTA renegotiation from the Office of the United States Trade Representative, Executive Office of the President, from Monday, July 17th, 2017. Why? Because I've got to up my game. Carlo Dade's coming in on about 10 minutes' time. We'll talk to him. He, he happens to be visiting town, and we haven't met, so I said, come on in studio. He's giving a talk in town, and we will discuss uh, everything trade-related. I'm a little freaked out by this story of the former Russian spy and daughter attacked with a nerve agent in Britain. Certainly seems like a hit job by Russia. Seems like Putin taking care of somebody that annoyed him. But the Brits are absolutely furious that yet again, because this isn't the first time, that a Russian has been assassinated on their soil by Putin. First one happened many, many years ago. Just... All you people that are big on Putin, take a breath. Really. Take a breath. And don't believe the propaganda. It's the same thing I tell you about Trump, who, by the way, is, um, well, he's winning on North Korea, it seems. South Korea's national security advisor says the leader of North Korea has agreed to change course on his nuclear ambitions Halt all missile tests. Chun Wiyong spoke after a day of briefings with senior U.S. officials on recent inter-Korea talks. He says this change of heart by Kim Jong-un comes from President Trump's strategy of dealing with North Korea. I explained to President Trump that his leadership and his maximum pressure policy, together with international solidarity, brought us to this juncture. I expressed President Moon Jae-in's personal gratitude for President Trump's leadership. He understands that the routine joint military exercises between the Republic of Korea and the United States must continue. And he expressed his eagerness to meet President Trump as soon as possible. Remember, and so that meeting will apparently take place by May. Remember when... We were just told that Donald Trump was going to start the Third World War. The media in the Western world reacted to Kim Jong-un 
firing off more missiles, making more threats. The Western media reacted by blaming Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump said, try it and you'll face consequences. And by the way, we're ratcheting up sanctions. Well, guess what? Trump's strategy worked. Now, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But North Korea says they'll put their nuke program on hold. They want face-to-face meetings with the Americans. They're willing to do what is being asked of them. Again, trust but verify. But it is a, it is a step in the right direction. Getting uh, word that the PC party is responding to the attempt to file an injunction to extend voting. Lawyer John Nunziata out of Toronto has put forward a a tweet saying that he's filed for an injunction and the injunction will be heard tomorrow morning at 9.30. Now, of course, the voter registration for the Ontario PC leadership race closed at 8 p.m. tonight, so 57 minutes ago. This will be heard tomorrow morning at 9.30. Voting ends at noon. A statement from the party says it's unfortunate to learn that certain individuals may be considering this step after we have worked so closely with leadership campaigns and with party members from across the province on a leadership election process passed by the PC party executive in accordance with the Constitution. Our measures accommodate the needs of members during this period. Uh, Our measures to accommodate the needs of uh, members during this period have included extending the verification period three times and extending voting once. Those rules prescribe an end to voting on March 9th and a leadership announcement on March 10th in preparation for the general election that begins in two months. Now, in the piece that I posted last night over the fight continuing, I quoted from two different sections of the Ontario PC Party Constitution. One says, the cutoff date, this is for buying memberships, the cutoff date shall not be earlier than the midpoint between the date the election is called and the date voting is scheduled to conclude. So the Elliott camp points to that section and says, we can't extend voting because otherwise we've breached the Constitution on how long you have to sign up members. And that's vital. That's how you win, signing up members and getting them to vote. So they say that section of the Constitution precludes them from extending voting because to do so would mean that the cutoff date for buying memberships was less than the midway point. It was earlier than the midway point. But then the next section of the Constitution says a leadership election shall respect the principle that each member of the party has a right to one vote and that the executive shall ensure that the right to vote of each party member is respected in any rules governing the leadership election. A lot of people are going to be saying that is not being respected now. So the fight will go to the court tomorrow, not because I want it to go one way or the other in terms of whether they extend or not. I just don't like the courts telling political parties how to operate, so I hope that the judge simply dismisses this and won't even hear the the call for an injunction. It's a slippery slope that you don't want to go down. We'll continue to monitor this. But Carlo Dade, our trade guru from the Canada West Foundation, is next on Trump saying Canada is out for now, but maybe not in the future. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back after this. Hey, mama, mama, we? 
he's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Oh, man alive. A little late getting back. I had to go outside and find our next guest. Lost in the snow, in the wet cold, Carlo Dade. Joining us all the way from Calgary, he is, I, I keep saying that your official title is Trade Guru, but you have a different title, don't you, Carlo? It's director of the Center for Trade and Investment Policy. I actually was going to bring a business card in with me just so you actually had a business card. And so you, you are carry this. affiliated with the University of Ottawa. Yeah, so I'm still a senior fellow at the School of International Development and Global Studies at U of O. So whenever I come into town, I try and make myself available for lectures for the kids, you know, reaching out to the next generation. Okay. So you're in town today. You're giving a speech to a group of economists. Was it on the uh, insanity of trying to figure out what Donald Trump's going to do next? Oh, no. It's something (laughs) you're going to love even more. It was uh, the Ottawa Economics Association, their annual spring policy conference, and I was on the panel on progressive trade. Progressive trade, which means? Well, <laughs> so yes, this is the thing that everyone because was sitting it, on their edge for. This is what I'm saying. You it. know why I'm saying it. This is what Justin Trudeau wants in NAFTA. And I don't think he knows what it really means. So a little bit like uh, like Donald Trump, the government or the Trump administration, this government is – Making it up as they go along. <laughs> so on the, on the negotiations side, must be great between both sides. <laughs> well, the great thing about the the progressive trade and the government would argue, to be fair to them, that this is a simple continuation of things that have been building uh, that governments, uh, previous governments, have been doing. I would say, well, yeah, you know, your Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement is pretty much ninety nine point nine percent with the Harper government negotiated, and you're calling it comprehensive and progressive. So, you know, in one sense, the progressive trade agenda is a continuation of so, Canadian trade policy. It's what Harper negotiated with the C, with the TPP. So, yeah. yeah. Now the CETPP. It's too many letters. Sip yeah, tip. So, look, I, I, I think that we would agree in this country, and I don't think every country that we're trying to get a trade deal would agree – that we want certain labor standards, we want certain environmental standards. We don't want to be trying to compete with someone who has no labor laws. Exactly, and you can't. So the labor and environment provisions of, of which the government speaks are not part of a progressive trade agreement. They are part of a trade agreement and a trade ne- or a trade negotiation. So ever yeah, since I, I NAFTA, constantly these hear, are just standard, yeah, standard I, parts. I constantly hear from farmers who say, why do, I, why do I have to compete against imports that don't have to follow our regulations? And they have a point. They have to follow strict regulations in terms of pesticide and herbicide use, growing uh, how things can be grown, the, the use of fertilizer, all of that. And then we just allow whatever in. Mm. It's well, difficult. We don't. So we have strict sanitary and phytosanitary requirements for the Canadian market. Uh, so you just can't you know, gross anything and ship it over, produce anything and ship it over. It still has to meet basic safety standards. But the strict environmental rules that we have, you know, they actually give us a benefit when we're selling. 
we are not going to compete with places like Brazil on pennies a ton shipping out bulk commodities. Our advantage is that we can go for the higher value by you know selling products that are perceived as higher quality, products that are perceived as safe. That's what we're selling. So, That's what the Chinese want. They don't want to buy the same bleep that they can buy in China. They want to buy stuff from Canada or New Zealand because it's actually safe. They, they want to buy our beef in the way that my parents were a little while ago. Their thing was, ooh, Argentinian beef. It's really good. It's this and that. They want to look at our Canadian beef and say, we want Canadian beef. That's from a Canadian cow. That is quality. Exactly. And you'll see firms in China selling things not just with the maple leaf on it but with you know Saskatchewan on it. And the guys from Saskatchewan are going, whoa, 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 wait a second. <laughs> Let's double check to make sure that <laughs> that really did come from Saskatchewan. So you've got to fight when you build the brand. Uh, you've got to fight to protect it. But progressive trade, you know, so we're huge advocates for progressive trade at the Canada West Foundation because we define it as bringing in those groups that have been marginalized from trade, that haven't been able to participate. We're signing deals that create wonderful opportunities so we want all Canadians, not all Canadians, it's impossible. What the government says things like all Canadians, but yeah. as many as possible to benefit. But it's not identity politics. It's not saying because you're a woman, you haven't participated and we need to direct resources at you. We're talking about small firms, family-owned firms that could potentially, that are exporting to the states, that could potentially export to Europe or export to the Pacific Rim. It's all groups that could participate but haven't. That's the definition that we use of progressive trade. And we push back against the government saying if you're spending money and resources, you want to make sure that all firms – if you're a female entrepreneur, you don't need help because you're a female entrepreneur. You need help because you're an entrepreneur trying to trade. And so we want to bring in all groups that are trying to trade. And that's the true definition of progressive. And we push back with the government saying that you can't do identity politics and trade. You have to look at who could benefit, who could participate and who's not and direct resources there. And, you know, some of these small firms might need help from Export Development Canada, like a $41 million loan so that someone can buy their jet. Oh, wait. No, that's Bombardier. Anyway, I'm not, uh, not going to touch that one. Speaking with, you'll be getting calls from across the river on that. Well, it's not Bombardier's fault, but you sell to this this family, apparently known to be awful and corrupt, and we finance it, and then they disappear with the plane. Twenty-seven million left knowing. <laughs> can, can, can we cut EDC? Uh, okay, you get this one. <laughs> everyone has everyone has a bad day. Can we give them a? I, can I, we give them a bad Tuesday on this? I, I think that they are um, uh, reviewing policies and uh, having very red faces for the last week over that one. Let's talk about what happened down in Washington today, and I want to play the clip that surprised me um, because I well. I wasn't surprised when Donald Trump came out and said this. Due to the unique nature of our relationship with Canada and Mexico, we're negotiating right now NAFTA. And we're going to hold off the tariff on those two countries to see whether or not we're able to make the deal on NAFTA. Here's what I was surprised by. Was he turned around and this might be policymaking on the fly, but if he says it, you've got to take it seriously. He said... They're going to look at whether these tariffs apply to our great military allies based on how much they spend on defense. One other thing, uh, some of the countries that we're dealing with are great partners, great military allies. 
And we're going to be looking at that very strongly. The tariffs don't go effective for at least another 15 days. And we're going to see who's treating us fairly, who's not treating us fairly. Part of that's going to be military. Who's paying the bills, who's not paying the bills. We subsidize many rich countries with our military. They pay not 100 cents on the dollar, in some cases not 50 cents on the dollar, and they're massively wealthy countries. So we have to stop that. And that will enter into the equation also. Okay, that has to worry us because we spend, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. We're supposed to spend 2% of GDP on defense. We spend less than 1%. So we're one of those 50 cents on the dollar countries that he's suddenly thrown into the mix. Yeah, we've also stood with the U.S. at pretty much every war uh, with the exception, I think, of uh, Iraq where no one except the Brits would go in with them. You know, we were manning – the NORAD during September the 11th. I know. So, so our, and we're the only country, I think, that can integrate into U.S. carrier battle group, uh, t- take the lead ship in, in the carrier battle group. So, look, our contribution goes beyond just money. So there's the ability to call upon us to do things that others won't do. And in Afghanistan – well, no. we went into Kandahar in Afghanistan. We took the hardest damn. We Be- took the hardest damn yeah. spot in, in it, Afghanistan because the Americans said you can't come into Iraq. Can you help us out here because we need to free up some troops? And we did. And again, not only did we, but we actually fought. We actually took losses. Some of the European countries wouldn't go out the base at night. They wouldn't. I'm go not going to name Germany. Yeah, you oh, wait, work, I did. Work your work your way through the list. It goes longer. So, but look. The thing with the tariffs is, again, trade in the U.S. is a congressional responsibility, clear in the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 8. Congress delegates some of that power to the president. They have. But that power can only be delegated by statute. So where am I going with this? Well, the statutes are specific about how the president can use the powers that are delegated to him. So he just can't make stuff up on the fly and change the statute and say, (laughs) I'm going to put in a test that the countries have to be meeting their military commitments. So the statute that he's using is one of the Section 232 of the 1964 Trade Act. And it says that the U.S. and all countries have a similar provision, but that they can raise tariffs if a good coming in or a trade situation threatens U.S. security. So he has to justify under the statute that his, you know, saying that we're going to look at whether or not countries are meeting their obligations, jibes with the use of the statute to protect the import of goods into the U.S. that threaten U.S. security. That's not the correct statement of the statute, yeah. but it's, it's that you know we're protecting U.S. national national security is threatened by goods coming in or by us losing capacity. And if He's got to align those two. Yeah, and if we're part of the uh, the supply chain for the U.S. military, that can't exactly happen. Uh, speaking yeah. with Carlo Dade from the Canada West Foundation, we're going to take a quick break, come back, talk more about what's going on with NAFTA because it's a topsy-turvy world out there. The North Koreans want to sit down with Donald Trump now and they're abandoning their nuclear program. And the PCs are having a bun fight over their nomination. There's lots of news. It's crazy out there.
You can listen to Be Lil Now or catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Might seem a bit trade-obsessed tonight, but look, um, as you heard from Aaron Gardner earlier, uh, more than 50% of Canadian jobs are directly or indirectly tied to trade in one form or another, global trade. So even government jobs, you're sitting here in Ottawa thinking, well, I'm just a bureaucrat, I don't care. Well, if the tax money isn't coming in, guess what isn't coming in? Your paycheck, and not because of the Phoenix pay system, but because there's no tax money. So it's vitally important that we get this right. While Donald Trump is holding uh, tariffs over our heads and and saying, "Okay, well, you're exempt for now, but we'll see how it goes on NAFTA. There was another move today, and I want to ask Carlo Date about that. Another move in signing a, a trade deal in Chile. And Frankie Bubbles went down to Santiago, did he? Yes, he did. And hey, in the news where... In the day where the news is grim or scary or <laughs> comical, uh, comical in a scary way, you know, this is a real piece of good news for Canada. So this uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, which the government stuck uh, comprehensive and progressive on it, you know, God bless them for it. But this agreement actually gives us access to 10 economies around the Pacific, 13 percent of the world globe's GDP. It may not seem like a lot, but Japan, Vietnam, a country with three times the population of Canada, Malaysia, and Australia. a growing middle class. Exactly. Like that we're not going to sell a ton want. to the Australians. Well, maybe, maybe we will. Maybe we'll sell more. But I mean, there's timber, timber, and we've we've got to make sure that uh, and the Japanese love our timber as well for building houses. Exactly. But we we want into these growing economies, and the America we've got access. The Americans don't. So we're going to be taking hundreds of millions of dollars of market share off of the Americans in places like even Australia, bits and pieces, but Japan, Vietnam, Malaysia. And this is an agreement. It's not a bilateral agreement where we're just selling to Japan. We can sell products and inputs to Australia and we can buy inputs to make those products from Vietnam. So it's about supply chains. It's a huge advantage in the short term over the Americans and in the longer term by getting in ahead of them, becoming the preferred supplier to these countries as they think about selling goods within this group. So the Americans have shot themselves in the foot and we're finally making money off their stupidity. Was it you that was telling me that uh, the the Kiwis in New Zealand, they've run out of land for their sheep um, – yeah, for their farms for sheep and lamb. Yeah. And they started buying land here in Manitoba to, to, to set up those farms so that they can sell it back in? So what's interesting is you know, all firms in New Zealand are by definition SMEs or small and medium enterprises. Uh, they've got a couple ag uh, dairy companies that are, that are global leaders, but it's small companies. So they don't come into Canada and take over or just buy. They come in in partnerships. So what we're seeing are the Kiwis because pasture land is a bit scarce and you know, <laughs> ironic justice, it's because their dairy industry is so big. So cosmic justice on that. <laughs> but they partner with us and by partnering with us, they can get access to more resources. But what they have is knowledge of Malaysia, 
they've been in Malaysia since Malaysia was whatever it was before it was Malaysia. <laughs> they know these markets and they can work with us. The folks in Manitoba don't. So by partnering with these companies, we can start to get in. And again, we get in ahead of the Americans. We burrow in, we dig in, and now it's up to the Americans to try and come along and displace us whenever Donald Trump or whomever gets their act together down there. All right, Carlo, can you stick around for a little bit more? Yeah. Okay, Carlo Dade from the Canada West Foundation. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. All right, so what are we going to do about NAFTA? Carlo Dade from the Canada West Foundation is in with us. And, Carlo, the, the Americans have some uh, objectives that I keep just hearing. Well, it's a non-starter. Don't we have to get past saying it's a non-starter if they keep saying this is our objective? Otherwise, they're just talking past each other and there's no negotiation. Yeah, so I think with these negotiations, there is a lot of that. These negotiations have played out in public more than any I've, I think I've ever seen. So a lot of what we're hearing with the some of the negotiating positions and you know the things that you hear in public are designed for public discourse. What we're seeing with the actual negotiations, what I'm hearing, is that they're actually making progress when they get down to the technical level and they get away with uh, you know playing to the cameras. So the phytosanitary stuff, the agriculture chapter is close, the small business chapter may even be done. So it's weird that on the one hand, where they do manage to avoid uh, this sort of public theatrics, they're actually making progress on some stuff. But then you'll see Trump come out and say, oh, my God, we're not making any progress. Things are terrible. But then you look at the results of that round and you're scratching your head. They actually closed the chapter. So are, are they both playing to their home audiences effectively? Absolutely. And the Americans have forced our hand in this. So I do give credit to the government for doing the best that they can with an impossible job. And I think they've actually handled it pretty well. Uh, we've got other countries that are calling us up or calling the prime minister up and asking for advice on how to handle Trump and how to deal with the Americans. So, and I've got to say, I've, I've, I, I wasn't sure, especially after her episode with the Walloons, didn't realize they were a people until the uh, European trade deal was falling apart. But Christian Freeland has, seems to be doing a good job. She seems to be uh, the adult in the cabinet at, at times because this cabinet will erupt, and she hasn't. She, she's held her own. She knows her files. She seems to be on top of things, and she was willing to call out Lighthizer the other day. So kudos to her. Yeah, you know, and again, I think uh, from what I'm hearing from secondary sources, yeah, she is generating respect. Uh, she's managed to file well. She gets along with Ildefonso, the the Mexican. Uh, we Mexican tend to ignore the Mexicans in this. Yeah, you would think in Canada this is a bilateral negotiation. The Mexicans handshake? are used to that. The, yeah. the Mexicans are used to that with us. So um, I don't think they take it personally anymore. 
some of the uh, ideas that are in there, we've all heard that they want rid of supply management in 10 years, that they want 85% of auto parts to be made in North America. But there's other industries that they're going after that folks don't realize they want access to, and that includes financial services. Their official list says, expand competitive market opportunities for United States finance, uh, financial service suppliers to obtain fairer and more open conditions of financial services trade. To me, that sounds like they want their banks to be able to come up here and do what our banks do in the United States. That's something that should be on the table. Um, you know, But they would also have to look at regulation up here and would they be comfortable with that. You know, it's funny because the Americans complain about trade deficits. Mm-hmm. You know, we're running a deficit with you. That's unacceptable. Well, if you look at the North or the Canada-U.S. relationship, they've got a huge surplus in services. So our pushback should be, oh, wait a minute. You're the ones talking about when, deficits when, when and When you say services, what do you mean? So banking, insurance, uh, tourism, education. Um, all the things that you think we have of a that, we have a deficit with the Americans on banking on the services the full service category and some of that I haven't broken it down in a while I haven't broken it down by the exact component but some yeah, of that was I'm just thinking you know the the Boston Gardens is now named TD uh, we've got TD Place here for the the Red Blacks what do they call it uh, TD Gardens in Boston now where the the Bruins play yeah they'll uh, never call it Toronto Dominion. <laughs> No, they don't even call it that here. But you know, TDs all over the place, BMOs all over the place. Um, Scotia Bank, well, you have to go to the Caribbean to find them. But you know, our banks are successful in going around the world. So, outside, as you say, the regulation, I'm surprised that the Americans wouldn't want to be up here. I would expect they would. Yeah, it's it's a small market. Um, you know, the so the telcos, uh, the cell phone companies, have always been interested. But only if they could cleave off uh, Toronto, Montreal, and, and and Vancouver, and, and, and then leave Saskatchewan to, to to its own devices. And they just they, and apparently Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in Calgary. You know what it's like. Uh, you know, so-called medium-sized city with more than a million people, and you just get ignored by Toronto and uh, and Vancouver. Yeah, well, we're happy when we're ignored by uh, uh, Toronto and Vancouver. Well, we're holding our own against Vancouver, I think. <laughs> Where else do the Americans want to to move in? And and do we have a similar a similar request where we're saying, okay, but we want access to this? Because this has been my issue, as we've discussed before. When you ask this government, the, the Trudeau government, they say, well, progressive trade, and so we want chapters on gender. I'm not opposed to that, but... That doesn't get me a job. That doesn't help me sell more. That doesn't help me expand. Exactly. So, you know, one of the issues where it, it's odd, some of the issues we actually agree with the Americans in terms of access. So a really obscure issue that's important for parts of the West and the prairies, grain grading. So when you have grain, wheat or, or, or oats, um, we have a system for grading grain in Canada but when the Americans ship grain up to be shipped out through Vancouver um, or shipped up to Canada, the grain is automatically graded as feed no matter what the quality is, no matter what it, what it really is. So the Americans have always said to us, you know, you need to knock it off. So the way the, the trade so works – So doesn't that get them less money if it's graded as feed? No, because 
the person buying the grain and the person sell grain and the person selling it in the state says, "Look, this is X type of grain." You'll do a test on it, a genetic test or whatever, to test the grain, and you make a deal despite the grade the, to to buy it. But it's a, a hindrance for trade. And our grain industry says this is ridiculous. You know, we can segregate American grain when it comes up, but we should have you know American grain should be graded. Uh, the same way that Canadian grain is graded. Um, so that's actually an issue where the Americans have been pushing for something. The grain industry here, or most of the grain industry, there are some farmers, of course, who say, no, it's terrible. But by and large, um, Canadians uh, Canadians who, who are in the grain business are like, that's fine. So we also have these weird issues where there's agreement on both sides, but we can't get it done because they're fighting over other things. Hmm. The... Uh the telcos want to come in, financial services, and they're looking for it's a weird clause that the Americans want that I think could cost some of our big companies like SNC-Lavalin, uh, where if we want to bid on their state and municipal contracts, we can only get as much as American companies get up here. My guess is that you know, some of our big companies get an awful lot of road work and bridge building and and all of that, and this would be curtailing their profitability. And it, it's just an unworkable system if you don't weigh it by the size of the economy. So it's one of these things that makes sense to Trump's populist base. But when you really think through it, you realize that for a smaller economy to engage and to integrate with a larger one, there has to be some sort of proportionality. Uh, that's evolved. And the Mexicans are equally adamant uh, that this is simply a non-starter. And other countries that are looking at signing deals or maybe in the future, once Trump's gone, look at negotiating with the Americans, don't want to establish this as a precedent. State-owned and controlled enterprises. I'm guessing that, you know, outside of what, Via Rail and CBC, Freshwater Fish Marketing Corporation, uh, we don't have an awful lot of these. I'm guessing this is more a thing with, with Mexico. Well, Sastel, uh, all the crowns that we have. So we've got L- – LCBO. Yeah, there you go. That's 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 a state-owned enterprise. I forgot about that one. It's just like – it's like the wallpaper. You forget it's there. And the Americans have them too. If you want to buy liquor back in Pennsylvania, you got to go to the state store. So the Americans you know, also have – they have fewer, I think, crowns than we do, but the Tennessee Valley Authority uh, and institutions like that. In Mexico, it's mostly Pemex. Um, that's the the big one. Um, the electricity company has been opened up too. But yeah, it's a discipline that you have. Every country, even countries you don't think of, have these crown corporations or, or, or things that are state-owned enterprises. You don't think about them. We don't think about them here in Canada. But to the Americans, they stick well, out like a sore thumb. And then, I, and then I go out to to your town, to Calgary, and okay, I'm going to go buy a beer or going to buy a bottle of wine, and where do you go for it? Okay, well, you're not going to the government store. You're going any place you want. The choices <laughs> are endless. If you have you a like tuny that system or you have 200 bucks, there's something for you. It's <laughs> the market working. God bless. <laughs> you like that system out there. No frills liquor store. I remember being driven to one of those out in Calgary years ago. And I, I get out and, you know, we've got no frills here, but there's no no frills liquor store attached to it with just pallets of booze stacked up. Nothing fancy. Go in, get it at a discount price. And now with the downturn in the price of oil and the downturn of the economy, well, it's a good thing that we have that, right? (laughs) 
Carlo, thanks for dropping by tonight. Hey, always a pleasure. Carlo Dade from the Canada West Foundation. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Uh, we'll take a break and then a shortened time for calls tonight. But uh, if you do want to call in on anything we've been talking about, you know the numbers 521 Talk, 521 8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Remember, he's on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility or one eight hundred five eight zero CFRA. We've been talking a lot about trade, but in the middle of that, well, you've got North Korea saying that they want to uh, meet with Donald Trump and set aside their nuclear ambitions. We'll see if that actually happens. We've also got the Ontario PC Party facing a threat of an injunction application. I just want everyone to be clear. The injunction to extend voting in the PC leadership race has not been granted. John Nunziata, the former Liberal MP, says he will seek that injunction tomorrow morning at 9.30. Registration to vote already shut off. Voting supposed to end at noon. And at 9.30, John Nunziata is going to try and get it extended. Uh, the PC party says they find this to be unfortunate. Serge in Embrun, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. Hello. Uh, your guest earlier with, that, with the former uh, agriculture minister talked about uh, Canadian farmers getting subsidies, 92% of subsidies. He wasn't clear on what kind of subsidies those were. Was that on milk, egg, chicken, or subsidies to, for putting in manure uh, pits? Uh, you know what? I, I should have followed up on that, but I was trying to take the interview in a different direction. Um, yeah. I... I I did speak to a, another official in who had worked in the Harper government, and they said that they had actually reduced the number of subsidies available to farmers but opened up other ways to assist uh, in terms of crop insurance and uh, insurance against uh, drought, famine, all of that. So I, I couldn't tell you what Aaron was talking about, but he was talking about farmers outside of the supply management system. Okay. Um, now, when it comes to supply management, a lot of people don't understand it. I, if I could give a recommendation, Graham Lloyd is the uh, director of the uh, Dairy Farmers of Ontario. And he, if you could invite him on your show, he could probably tell you everything you want to know about my uh, I have invited the Dairy Farmers of Ontario on the show many times. Oh, you have? And I think I might have gotten somebody once. Because I, I listen, I like I work in the industry, and I went to listen to him in Winchester last year, and was very informative. Like <clears throat> he was saying that uh, for every pound of dairy product we send to the states, the, the Americans are already sending us five. So there is a trade of, of dairy products going back and forth, With and the, they're sending us five pounds of butter for every pound we sell. Like I, I, I'm not sure I, how. I, I'm just going to say dairy product. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's butter or cheese. But for every pound of dairy product, Canadian dairy product going to the states, the U.S. is sending us five. Um, not, not, that's what the DFO, uh, the director of the Milk Marketing Board, Ontario Milk Marketing Board, was saying at this meeting in Winchester last year. So uh, there's a lot of information. I was really surprised when I heard him talk about the different differences and the things that we don't hear normally about market management. Okay. Well, thanks for the call, Serge. Okay. You're welcome. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. 
Um, it is, uh, as I said, a truncated time to call, but thought I'd get a, a few more people calling in on the uh, disaster that is the Ontario PC leadership race. I actually don't see how they can extend it. I don't see how they can go past tomorrow at noon based on their constitution. As I was quoting earlier, their constitution has two sections on how a leadership vote has to happen that are at odds with each other right now. The first one is the cutoff date. This is for selling memberships. The cutoff date shall not be earlier than the midpoint between the date the election is called and the date voting is scheduled to conclude. So the cutoff date for buying memberships was last month. It was February the 16th. If they extend it, that means that the cutoff date for selling memberships was earlier. That will have some campaigns crying foul because, well, I could have sold more memberships. I could have gotten more people to back me, to vote for me. The next, it's actually the very next section. And I don't think when they wrote this out that they thought these two sections of the party constitution would be at odds with each other. But it says a leadership election shall respect the the principle that each member of the party has a right to one vote and that the executive shall ensure that the right to vote of each party member is respected in any rules governing the leadership election. So you've got the principle of making sure that you follow the rules set out of how the vote has to be structured, but you've also got the principle of each member has the right to one vote. I like that they put in one vote because whether you're talking about the Mulroney era and not Caroline Mulroney, Brian Mulroney, and people being signed up to vote from their headstones, or you're talking about Chicago, where the motto is vote early and vote often, you just want people voting once. But I can just read off this statement from the PC party. They say, it is unfortunate to learn that certain individuals may be considering this step, meaning the injunction, after we have worked so closely with leadership campaigns and with party members from across the province on a leadership election process passed by the PC party executive in accordance with the Constitution. Our measures to accommodate the needs of members during this period have included extending the verification period three times and extending voting once. Those rules prescribe an end to voting on March 9th, and a leadership announcement on March 10th in preparation for the general election that begins in two months. They can't mess this up, though, because the the populace of Ontario is ready to change horses. We've seen two different polls this week showing how badly Kathleen Wynne and the Ontario Liberals are doing because their policies have been killing jobs in this province. They've been driving household bills through the roof, and they've been killing jobs. And as I always say, you've got to change the bedsheets once in a while, and it's time to change the bedsheets in the province of Ontario. But if the PCs mess this up enough, guess what? They could still lose. That has always been my fear. We will see what happens uh, tomorrow with this injunction, but I don't expect it to go anywhere. We'll see if the judge wants to start venturing into Well, ruling on what private clubs can and can't do. Not a great move in in my view. I know some of you are going to be angry with that, but I'm just going to try and stay consistent on that. It's always been my view. 
Uh, we will not be on the air tomorrow night. 67's Hockey in. I'll be back on Monday night, but you can hear me tomorrow morning with Big's Bit. Bill's Big Breakfast. Uh, he's out in Canada for the uh, the breakfast tomorrow. And if I can wake up early enough, maybe you'll even see me there. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side. <laughs>